Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that our spiritual growth is not just for our own benefit. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread that love to one more person. We had a great time together on Christmas Eve. Uh, People were were falling out the windows trying to get in. Uh, But they all looked really stressed out, though. Christmas Eve does that to people, being with family. So you all look much more relaxed tonight, uh, today. It's, it's, all, it's all very good. It was, a, it was a fun time to celebrate, but fun to be together here on the 29th. There's only like two, three days left to, to 2019, and then we'll be at 2020. And so that's hard to believe. <laughs> it's been 360-something days since this year started. And so we're just taking a little carve out today to, uh, to reflect on that, and, uh, and I look forward to doing that. 2019 has been an exciting uh, year for our church family. During 2019, we welcomed some 10 new babies into the world, including my daughter, eight days before Easter, which is terrible timing, uh, except that her due date was Easter, so it was actually excellent timing. Glad she's an early kid. That was good. We have received some 55 new ministry partners. We've seen 22 people come to be baptized. We have had seven summer staff members, including Kennedy uh, and, and, and others. Oh, Kennedy, who moved over there. You were right here previously. So it's been a lot of excitement for us. We have gone uh, under contract to buy uh, land in Davidson to give a more long-term home for our church family. Uh, we're in the midst of a rezoning process on that land because of a, a, a law about churches being so close to other churches, in a quarter-mile rule, we call it, churches being so close to other churches. It's going through a rezoning process, which should be finalized sometime in 2020. Still going well, for all those of you who ask. Uh, and then our congregation uh, committed uh, over $3 million to not only purchase the property, but then do the work, the architectural work, to get ready for a building. A building, as you may remember, is a tool for long-term vibrant ministry in our community. A tool for long-term vibrant ministry in our community. It's nothing more, it is nothing less. That's what, that's what it is. Of course, 2019 has not been uh, all good, right? We've also had to say goodbye to people that we love. And we grieve. People have moved uh, and people have gone home to be with God. And we grieve that and we celebrate that for them. So I don't know what your 2019 has has been. Uh, I imagine if it's like mine, it's been highs and lows, good and bad. Some things I hope will happen many times and some things I hope will never happen again. There's a scripture that I always like to turn to at the end of the year, though. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Sometimes people will come and say, I really want to know God's will for me. I've got good news for you today. I know it, at least in part. It is that you rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, notice it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. That in the good and in the bad, in the highs of life and in the lows of life, pray, rejoice, give thanks. The end of the year, the end of 2019, is a very natural time to stop and look back and ask, what happened in 2019 for which I can be thankful? What happened in 2019 for which I can be thankful? How did God shape you in 2019? How did God rescue you in 2019? What door did God open for you in 2019? What ongoing saga did God bring resolution to in 2019? At the end of the year, we look backwards, we evaluate, we reflect. These are all good things to do. But the Scripture is also encouraging us, as we do those things, to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Not super long, but I want you thinking about that question, what happened in 2019 for which I can be thankful? What happened in 2019 for which I can be thankful? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to turn to a neighbor near you and tell them one of those things. You can't take super long. I still got more sermon to go. But I want you to take a minute. What happened? What's one thing that happened in 2019 for which I can be thankful? All right. Now you're going to turn to a neighbor and tell them. Ready, set, go. If you don't have a neighbor, you got to go meet somebody. What happened? All right, now you might have to switch. You might have to flip to the other person now. All right, all right. Not meant to be a comprehensive exercise in reflecting on the year. Just trying to whet your appetite as we look backwards what happened in 2019 for which we can give thanks in all circumstances. So far, my favorite answer came from the 815 service where someone said, I I only lost one finger. (laughs) That's a good thing. Could have been more. I only lost one finger. There you go. So we look backwards. We look backwards with thankfulness. We see the year for what it was in both its highs and its lows. That doesn't mean we have to ignore the the hard parts, and we won't ignore the hard parts. But the Scripture also is encouraging us to give thanks in the midst of all circumstances. So we look back, and I pray we look back with thankfulness. But part of how we also look back and continue to reflect on what God has done is that we look forward. 
And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time in my sermon doing, is beginning to look forward towards 2020. Earlier this year, a little while, while back, I preached a sermon. Actually, I preached a lot of sermons. Myself, Bud, Holly, Gray, we preached a bunch of sermons in 2019, 53 to be exact. We started the year studying the book of the Bible called Daniel. We moved from there to hard questions about the Christian faith. We looked at the seven deadly sins and their corresponding virtues. We looked in depth at Jesus' invitation to follow me. Then we studied the faith of people in the Old Testament. Most of that was in the cafeteria because they were refinishing this gym floor for like a year and a half. Uh, from there, we, uh, we read and all the way through studied together the book of the Bible called Philippians, and we joined a hundred other churches in the Charlotte area in learning to be better neighbors. We looked at the coming down the home stretch, the practice of prayer, and then we ended at Jesus and the I am statements of Jesus. Does any of that, now this is your first Sunday, you don't have to remember any of that, but if you've been here at all this past year, does any of that sound familiar? Okay, good. It's been a good year. <laughs> We've covered some ground this year. But what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the first series of the year. I want to go back to the book of Daniel. Now, I'm not going to rehash the whole book of Daniel today, not the whole series, not even a sermon from the series. I want to pull out one point from that series and remind us of it as we head into the new year. And I'm going to eventually wind back to the passage Billy read for us earlier from 1 Peter chapter 5. So Daniel, does anyone remember, was anyone here a year ago when we studied the book of the Bible, Daniel? You may remember the point if you were here for that series. The point was Daniel was an Israelite whose primary desire was to love God and live for God, but he was forced to live his life in Babylon. Daniel was an Israelite. Daniel's primary desire was to love God and live for God, but he was forced to live his life in Babylon. In Babylon, they had a bunch of little g gods. The, the capital G God, right, Daniel's God, our God, was very marginalized in Babylon. But Daniel's deepest desire was to love God and live for God, even surrounded in a culture that did not value that. What's interesting is Daniel was esteemed by the people in Babylon. Daniel became a trusted leader in Babylon. Daniel thrived in Babylon. He didn't just survive Babylon, he thrived in Babylon as someone who was esteemed but not indistinguishable. His faith in God guided him, but that didn't mean that everybody hated him. His faith in God guided him, but that didn't mean everybody hated him. We have a lot to learn from Daniel. Daniel can, through, through Daniel's life, God can teach us how to thrive in a changing cultural landscape, how to stay engaged with a secularizing culture while also letting God transform us into people who are distinct and the refreshing kind of distinct. So all that brings us back to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, what it does is it contrasts the two, king, two of the kings of Babylon that Daniel served under. He served under a man named Nebuchadnezzar, and then he served under his son Belshazzar or Belshazzar. I'm sure I'll pronounce it both ways over the next few minutes. So Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar. 
I think that's the third way to pronounce it there. Now, if you think about this, if you're Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar, that's a lot of bubbles you've got to bubble in on a standardized test. Those are long, long names. But they were the king, and so I assume they probably had people to do the bubbles for them. So it probably all, it probably all worked out. So in Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king. We've moved on to Belshazzar, his son, being the king. And Belshazzar decides, I'm going to throw a banquet for myself and my nobles. So they all come in, and Belshazzar remembers, oh, wait, when my dad, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he raided God's temple years ago and stole some golden goblets from it. Somebody needs to go get those golden goblets. And, and I'm going to drink out of those, right? Asserting his power over the God with the capital G. So they go and do all that. And in verse 4, Daniel 5, 4, we learn that as they drank the wine, they're drinking the wine out of the golden goblets, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So they're just sitting there laughing, drinking, having a big old time, saying things about the gods of their society. And all of a sudden, the mood starts to change. And the reason the mood changes in this little banquet is that some writing appears on a wall. You know the expression, the writing on the wall? That's a biblical expression. God has the copyright on that expression too. So if you've ever used the phrase, the writing on the wall, but have not paid God royalties, we're going to take an offering here in a few minutes. <laughs> I always love to see how that joke goes over. And usually it depends how much people spend on Christmas with how well that joke goes over. So the party is at a screeching halt because the king has become terrified. He, he's concerned about what, why this writing on the wall appeared and what it means. And so verse 7, the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, wise men, interesting, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. All right. At this point, the queen goes over and says, um, sweetie, this is a very loose translation, uh, sweetie, your dad, Nebuchadnezzar, would have always talked to a man named Daniel about this stuff. You need to f send somebody to find Daniel. And they go, and someone finds Daniel. Daniel comes to the king, to Belshazzar. Belshazzar repeats his little sales pitch, right, like clothed in purple, gold chain around your neck, uh, third highest ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, before Daniel does this, though, he launches into a little bit of a history lesson. This happens in the Bible sometimes. It's interesting, right, as part of how they move forward, how well, the Bible, I think, is trying to teach us, is part of how we move forward is to remember what happened in the past. And so, Daniel launches into a little bit of a history lesson in which he summarizes the previous chapter of Daniel, which is pretty convenient if you didn't read the previous chapter. Daniel says... Belshazzar, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he was a proud and an arrogant man. And that's true, he was. His heart was overtaken by arrogance. But eventually that arrogance went to his head and he went mad. 
He actually was living out in the field like he was a, a wild animal. He was eating grass like a wild animal. The Lord humbled your father, Nebuchadnezzar. And when he was humbled, your dad looked to God. Your dad put his life into God's hands. And God restored him and God transformed him. And then he continues. He says in verse 22, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Whoa. So Daniel essentially is saying to Belshazzar, Belshazzar, you knew all this. You knew that in, your, in, in Nebuchadnezzar, your father, in his later days, he, he was humbled by life. But when he was humbled by life, he turned to God. He trusted his life, he put his life into God's hands, and God transformed him. You knew this about him. And now here you are just praising the idols of Babylon, but not praising the God who holds this world in his hands, not praising the God who holds your life in his hands. So he continues, Daniel said, here are what the words mean. He's now going to read the writing on the wall. By the way, when someone uses the expression, the writing on the wall, if you can pull out Mene Tekel Perez, which are what the words on the wall were, you'll like get super Bible nerd points. I don't think you should do that to have friends. I'm just pointing that out. Here is what these words mean. Mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Remember, these words would not have been known to, to the people sitting there. He's reading these, these words they can't understand. Mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez means your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then I imagine there was a very long and uncomfortable silence, at which point Belshazzar cleared his throat <clears throat> and responded. Verse 29, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That is what he said he was going to do. However, did you just hear what Daniel said? Daniel said, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. He just said, your kingdom is about to come to an end, that all this that you think you're in charge of, you're about to lose it all. And your response is, well, here's what I promised to give you. Thanks a bunch. It just, it seems to me either Belshazzar was not listening, that's possible, uh, not very smart, or more likely, he still refuses to be humbled by life, right? Wouldn't it humble you if you told, were told everything you think you're in charge of, everything you've worked your whole life for, you're about to lose it in a second, and, and you're the primary reason for that? Wouldn't that be a humbling? Wouldn't that humble you? Might, might your response to that not be, what could I do to not have that happen? Something? His response is, well, here's what I promised to give you. Thanks a bunch. He's still walking towards destruction, <laughs> whistling all the way. His father was humbled 
by those hard moments, but he remained arrogant to the end. And if you keep reading, what you'll find is that Belshazzar died that very night, and he was replaced by a new king called Darius the Mede. And I'm sure Darius the Mede did a lot of wonderful things for his community, but he is forever remembered for a law he passed, not the, not the quarter-mile law. Uh, he, he is remembered for passing a law about a lion's den that got, that got Daniel in a little bit of trouble. It's interesting that the most remembered part of Daniel's life, Daniel in the lion's den, even if you didn't grow up in church, you may have heard of Daniel in the lion's den, that was at the end of Daniel's life, not the beginning. His most enduring legacy moment came in his final years. So I'm sure you can draw the point I would make from that, uh, but it's just an interesting, interesting thing. I always have assumed Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel was young, Daniel's old. It's one of his last things in his life. So again, I'm not trying to restate the whole Daniel series here. I'm not even trying to redo a whole sermon from the Daniel series. I'm just trying to pull out one point. And the point is around these two kings and how they responded to life and what God was doing in their life. The contrast is the question I want us to think about as we head into the new year. And the contrast question is just this. Am I becoming humble or arrogant? Am I becoming humble or arrogant? Am, am I approaching this thing more like Nebuchadnezzar or more like Belshazzar? As I face the difficulties of life, as I begin to grasp with who God truly is, as I have these defining moments in my life, are they making me more dependent on God or more dependent on myself? Am I bowing before the God of the universe or am I thinking I need to strap the weight of the world on my own shoulders to get the results I need? Am I becoming humble or arrogant? You'll remember that both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar were arrogant people. They were both impressed that they were such great kings. But then there came a turning point in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Life humbled him. And he realized that his life was wrapped up in things that were temporarily fulfilling but ultimately empty. His life was wrapped up in what was temporarily fulfilling but ultimately empty. And so he turned in humility to God. Life had humbled him, and he turned in that humility to God, and he trusted his life into God's hands. But then we see Belshazzar, who should have been humbled by life, at least when Daniel read the writing on the wall, but he was not. He continued to walk towards destruction, whistling all the way, convinced he was right and everybody else was wrong, and he would figure it out. What about you? What about me? Are we becoming humble or arrogant? Are we emerging from the defining moments of life more reliant on God or more reliant on ourselves? And this gets us back to the passage that Billy read for us earlier, which says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand 
that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So, first Peter is saying, not only does God humble the arrogant, that's what he did to King Nebuchadnezzar, it's also saying God lifts up the humble. In fact, having a relationship with God through Jesus, it begins at humility. It begins at the moment when you and I realize we can't earn, we don't deserve our spot in God's family, we have to receive it as a gift. I would like it so much more if I could earn my spot in God's family, if I could do enough good things, I could pat myself on the back. I made it in. There's probably some jokers that didn't make it in. But it's not something that we can uh, earn or deserve. Our place in God's family is something we receive as a gift from Jesus. It's His inheritance, and He is willing to share it with us. Following Jesus begins in humility, and hopefully it makes us people who become marked by humility, who realize that the best thing for us is to rely more on God than we rely on ourselves. Peter says there is a beautiful byproduct to humility. The beautiful byproduct of humility is that we can cast our cares upon God, cast our anxieties or our cares upon God because He cares for us. In humility, we realize we can't be everything the people in our lives need us to be. We can't do everything the people in our lives need us to do. We're not smart enough. We're not driven enough. We're not compassionate enough. And God says, we don't have to be. Instead, God's encouragement is to cast our cares onto Him. Let God be God. Cast your cares onto Him. Rely on God more than we rely on ourselves. Cast your cares onto Him because He cares for you. So as we look to 2020... I'm asking all of us to reflect on that question. We reflect back and ask, what is it for which I can be thankful? What have I learned from the year behind? What, what do I hope will, will go away from the year behind? What do I need to keep working through from the year behind? But part of how we look back is we look forward, and the question is, am I becoming humble or arrogant? Am I becoming humble or arrogant? And I, and I give you the Peter verses because I want to layer on a di- an additional thing, which is to point out the way that prayer, the habit of prayer, helps us in becoming humble. Right? Prayer, literally or figuratively, keeps us on our knees remembering I cannot be and do everything that I need and the people in my life need me to be and do. And so I choose to cast my cares upon God, believing that He cares for me. So at the end of the service uh, today, we, Bill already told you about the, 
the share forms, and in fact, we have two easels of those 31 opportunities on your way out the door. A great opportunity, again, to take a step of humility, to serve other people. The other thing we do every Sunday, but we want to elevate on this particular Sunday because it's just a, it's a special Sunday. It's a vulnerable Sunday as we feel the weight of two years at the same time. We're going to offer prayer after our service. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. We'll sing together. We'll worship by, with our voices, our offerings, our prayer requests. I'll come up and dismiss the service. And then today, we're going to have five stations around the room where people can come and be prayed for. I think we're going to do them, Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, we're going to do them here, 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 and here. Got it. There, 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 and there. Wonderful. Five stations around the room where folks can come and, and be prayed for at the conclusion of the service by our prayer team, our elders, our staff. Now, you don't have to do that, like, right? You don't have to sign up to serve. We're not going to hold you hostage here that you have to serve or be prayed for so you can leave the service. We're not going to do any of that. But these are opportunities we want to present to you, and I want to encourage you to take a step, a, a step of humility. And, and being prayed for it is one of those things. But what is it reiterating to us as we walk into the new year? Cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. You don't have to carry these burdens all by yourself. You don't have to keep walking forward with the weight of the world on your shoulders. You can give those, you can cast those onto God. And we're doing it in community. We could just say, just sit at your seat and pray. And you can just sit at your seat and pray when the service is over. That would be fine. But part of why we're saying we're inviting you to come and be prayed for with one of these five stations is so you'll remember we do this in community. You don't have to walk through all this alone. You can walk through all this in community with other people. If it's too heavy for you to carry, we'll get some people to help you carry it. Or better yet, cast it onto God, knowing that He cares for you. That is the foundation of the Christian faith. The God of the universe cares for you. You're not just a number to God. The God of the universe cares for you. And in fact, He cares for you so much that He became human. I like being human, but being human is a huge downgrade if you're God. He became human. He came to earth as Jesus Christ fully God and fully human. He humbled himself by submitting to death. In fact, he died on a cross. His love for you, his care for you is sacrificial and it's real. And he invites you to come and get swept up by it. He humbled himself and he invites you and me to do the same, to humble ourselves to place our lives under His care, and then to be people who cast our cares onto Him because He cares for us. I guess that's all I wanted to say today.